0: Hey, good writing buddies. Welcome to Pop-Up Submissions Live, the show where we do a virtual striptease and reveal what really goes on behind the scenes when you send your manuscript to a literary agent or publisher. And you are a vital part of the process. Jump into the YouTube chat right now and give us your opinion on every submission you're going to see. It's all about thrills and thrillers today, so how appropriate, we've got two utterly thrilling guests. Welcome back to the electrifying Roz Morris. And hello again to the sensational Annie Summerlee. Our last show of the month today, so a lot hangs on it. This month's winner will go straight to Hell of Zeus, For serious published consideration. This how this is exactly how the month's leaderboard currently looks. Dreaming of Tesla by Steve Weist has a jazzy, edgy take on climate change. We loved it so much we gave it a towering 71 points. Great score indeed but maybe one of today's submissions will beat it. We'll find out in the next 60 minutes.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And here we are, straight into the very first submission of the day. It's a thriller. It's from Joe, and it's called The Long Runners Volume 1. Sex, Spies and Lies. What's not to like? This is Joe's blue. A chance meeting, a brilliant and terrifying conspiracy, a deadly labyrinth of espionage, extremism, organized crime, deception, (gasps) manipulation, and power. A race against the doomsday clock to control the building blocks of life. Not entirely sure what I I understand that, but it sounds very exciting. Let me tell you about the show. Um, I've written five plays, says Joe. Uh, A World of Light won the National Writing Day Short Story Play Prize, and Lost Souls won the Liverpool Fringe Spirit Award. Liverpool, eh? I wonder if you know um, Jack Byrne who's a a, a regular on this show, too. Liverpool Mysteries. Maybe you know each other. Cephalo Press. What a great name for a publisher. Cephalo Press has published six of my short stories, and I've also authored another novel, part memoir of my Irish immigrant parents, and part fiction. A brief history of some people documented in unreliable memoirs, myths, stories, truths, and half-truths that defy all calculations of probability. (sighs) wow i managed to get through this and i tell you what i'm looking forward to is bev reading this
2: the long runners volume one by joe lucking read by jeff a story about deception manipulation power untruths and things unsaid a chance meeting a brilliant terrifying conspiracy, a deadly labyrinth of espionage, extremism, organized crime, deception, manipulation, and power. A race against the doomsday clock to control the building blocks of life. The Long Runners Volume 1, Sex, Spies, and Lies. Beginning In 1557, while serving at the Bordeaux-Palermont, the superior law courts of France, 24-year-old Noulé de Robe. Michel Equin de Montaigne attended a great city entertainment where by chance he met a precociously talented fellow Noble de robe, Etienne de la Bourre, three years his senior. Able to adjudicate and engage in political debates, Montaigne and Lavoisier, educated men of independent means, enjoyed the privileges of the nobility, free of the concerns of the Noble d'Epi, the warrior nobility. Fortuitous meeting led to a deep friendship and subsequently the founding of the long-runners. Montaigne described their friendship. We found ourselves so much taking one another, so acquainted and so endeared betwixt ourselves that from henceforward nothing was so near to us as one another. Our souls had drawn so unanimously together, they had considered each other with so ardent an affection. And with the like affection laid open to the very bottom of our hearts to one another's view, that I not only knew his as well as my own, but should certainly in any concern of mine have trusted my interests much more willingly with him than with myself. Labasille, according to Montaigne, possessed a mind fashioned to the model of better ages. Prompted by a shared aversion to violence, and the murderous environment that surrounded them, their friendship and their thinking flourished. Etienne has set down some of the thoughts in *Discours de la Servitude Volontaire, Discourse on Voluntary Servitude, published in fifteen seventy four, in which he asserted that a tyrant's power is given to them by obedience. The link between obedience and domination can be broken by the nonviolent withdrawal of consent, non cooperation and disobedience. Montaigne document his aversion to cruelty and violence, the tools of tyranny. I cruelly hate cruelty, both by nature and by judgment, away with violence and compulsion. Common ground was found in le Bois belief that freedom and the desire for it are the natural states of humanity, and that even under tyranny, freedom is easily regained. Be resolved to serve no more, and there you are, free! I do not want you to push him or topple him, but merely no longer hold him up, and you will see him as a huge colossus with the base taken away collapse under his weight and break up. La Bruyere tells us that tyranny corrupts human relationships. l'amitié c'est un nom sacré, c'est une chose sainte. Friendship is a sacred name, a holy thing. Il ne peut y avoir d'amitié là où il y a de la Croatie, où il y a de la loyatis, où il y a de l'injustice et parmi les méchants. quand Joranis, c'est une conspiration, pas une compagnie. Il ne pas, mais il se craignait, ce ne sont pas des amis, mais ce sont des complices. Il ne peut devoir terminer là où il y a de la Croatie, où il y a de la où il y a de l'injustice et parmi les méchants. There can be no friendship where there is cruelty, where there is disloyalty, where there is injustice. And among the wicked, when they come together, is a conspiracy, not a company. They do not love each other, but they fear each other. They are not friends, but they are accomplices. In 1560, Labossi was sent to Paris by Bordeaux. His official mission was to discuss his colleagues' salaries, a substitute for Catholic and Protestant relations in southwestern France. In January 1562, the French government issued an edict granting limited tolerance to Protestantism, a move which satisfied neither party, prompting to Labossi to write Le Memoire touchant l'édition de Janvier 1562. Reflections or the Edith of January 1562, in which he says that in a state with two religions, human relations are corrupted.
0: Right, so um, shall I apologise now? Here we go. I'm very confused. I'm very sorry. That wasn't, wasn't Bev. <laughs> It was Jeff, yes, and I thought it was excellent, actually, Jeff. Congrats, many congratulations, Jeff. You got through it. You got through it. That's, that's impressive, actually. Let's see what the genie is saying. Um, Pamela Jo says, Vagabond, that's, uh Bev, a Fantastic Career as an actress, clearly. And the vagabond herself says, sorry, my voice broke yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. First paragraph is hard work, says L.A. Um, Jeff says, apologies for the odd French accent, mes amis. Uh, Jeff, you've got nothing to apologise for, mate, nothing at all. Um, Oh, those twisters, says James. Is this an essay, says Vagabond? Uh, Barbara feels detached to me. It reads like non-fiction, says LA Thomas. I'm confused. Uh, You're not the only one. Um, Glenn says, no idea what's going on here. And Jeff, our narrator, of course, and who, who read it, I think, brilliantly, says the blurb and opening lines were intriguing... But as it continued, it felt a little like historical non-fiction rather than a thriller. The writing was smooth and readable, but the addition of French text was superfluous in most cases, as it was followed by an English translation. It also undermined the flow. John is not being drawn in. Claire says, so beginning, reads like an essay. No emotion, says Barbara. James says, needs to open the bang if it's a thriller. And L.A. Tom says, what's this. <laughs> What's this? Oh no. um Jan says, less info, more thrill, please. And uh, Monsieur Dupré says, this feels like a bilingual manifesto. He does a bit, actually. Yeah. Shall we see what Annie thinks?
3: um I think it's a little bit unfortunate because from the title and the blurb, I was expecting one thing and then. This, what i'm assuming is a prologue gave us something that's completely different and um, i'm not sure if this is non-fiction like if this is some kind of introduction to the context or if these are fictional characters but they're being presented to us in a non-fiction sort of way to make it feel more authentic but um i have to agree with the genius room I, i don't think that it works mainly because if it's a thriller then there's a certain expectation of how it should start and also the the french i think if you're going to add french it has to be consistent i feel like at the beginning we had these couple of paragraphs of them in english and then you started introducing paragraphs in french so that just it broke the flow and i'm sure that you know this is an author who's had things published already and they've won awards so i'm sure that the first chapter is probably really good. So
0: it's really unfortunate that that's not what he sent. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And Annie, uh, give us some numbers on that, please. Just checking.
3: Oh, right.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, And let's see what uh, Roz's first reaction was.
4: It doesn't yet know what it wants to be. Um, I thought that as soon as I read the title, uh, the title by itself doesn't make sense. Is it um, a, is it a series? Um, (laughs) And the it also seems a bit comic. So I was thinking, what's the tone of it going to be? Because yeah. thrillers aren't generally comic. Uh, they have to be taken really, really seriously. So, so that, that alerted me a bit. The blurb yeah. is too general. It doesn't it's tell us general. who we're with. Yeah. We need to know who the characters are. We yeah. need to know what the setting is and the scenario, because that's really important if you're selling a thriller, which is maybe this is going to be about the Vatican. You've got to get that, that setting into the, the blurb somehow. Yeah. Um, all these things are really important points to hit. Hmm. Um and I couldn't understand what the title meant and you do need mm. to feel like you understand a title on some level even if it also intrigues you and makes you think oh what's that
5: yeah. um,
4: I absolutely agree with everyone who says it doesn't start like a thriller which usually needs to kind of grab you with a scene where people are doing things and they're doing something that makes you this sort of warms you up for the kind of thrills you're going to get and the kind of world you're going to be in all that's really important but what we seem to have in was um, a historical background really? I wondered if he would rather have written um, a historical thriller uh, set yeah. in that period that might suit his interests much better. Actually, yeah,
0: um, I got. I I, may... I I understood. Um, it's a very interesting comment. Let's genius stream. Actually, a very simple comment there. clergy G says they can write. They can write. Mr um, Dupre says the blurb is way better than the story. So I think I understand what. Um, what Joe's doing here, but it's it. I, I, I had to look at it twice. He, what he's doing? He's he's writing about a secret society, and that's potentially actually really quite interesting. I don't know on mm. because I, I have to explain. Uh, gentle viewer, that that all I get. I'm the only one here who's actually seen the submissions before. All right, so everyone else. Instant first reactions, that's one of the reasons it's, it's such a, you know, a precious thing. But You really are getting, you're not getting considered reactions, you're getting people's raw, un- you're getting the, the, the truth coming straight up from them. But I But I've looked at this several times, and it, it's about a secret society. It's, and what you're, what he's doing here is he's covering the origins in great detail of the secret society. And I think that's, in essence, it's quite interesting, but there's way too much information about that. Mm. I mean, far too much, you know, original French. I just you Yes.
4: Know. And it's and it's 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 a bit it reminds me a bit of Bizarre's Fade to Grey where you've got a verse in French and then the same verse in English. And you don't need it twice. That's
0: right. <laughs> Set it to music, Joe. You could have a top ten hit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's a really interesting issue. Um I um I would love to see it develops, but um, uh, it's i think it's a fairly common mistake actually we do see this from time to time it's kind of when i think the the author is sort of so enamored of the subject and they've done their research and they want they want to throw it all in your face because you know it's it's a great thing and it and it's 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 great in terms of their enthusiasm but it's it, the reader doesn't care really what we want is the story
4: Yeah, but he's got a huge depth of knowledge there. He's invented something really detailed. He sees it very clearly. What he now would, what I would do if if I was tackling this, would be I would create a scene of the the first time these two people met. What did they say to each other? Use what he's got in his first chapter as his knowledge, which he will somehow show it used to show interesting things that happen keep yeah. some of it for later Definitely. um but so it's all really useful material really useful yeah. work
0: yeah i think so too so we're, we've been quite positive about that but we've got to face the facts and we've got to judge the the words in front of us and you got a 41 joe i think it's um i think i mean that's that's just how we reacted to it it's not the greatest score in the world but you've got lots of great advice there and hopefully you've got some encouragement. As well. Here we go. Submission number two for the day: black and white. It's a thriller, which is what we want. Hello, who's that there? It's Rob. Good to have you along with us, Rob. Very pleased to join us live. Love it when our, when our authors do join us live because there's room for a bit of discussion if you want that. Oh, you do. <laughs> Why well, you, you You can exhale now, it's all right. Come out from behind the sofa, it's fine. Uh, and it's adult slash YA crossover, which is a good position to be. Nice sweet spot. And here is, oh my goodness, we are having a discussion. Thank you, thank you, Rob. I <laughs> shut up for a bit. <laughs> okay, yes, let's, let's get onto your blurb. Phew, Fidel was born with white skin in Mali, Africa and is shunned by his own people. When his father and twin brother are murdered in a raid on their village, he flees, but is abducted by traffickers, intent on selling him for his albino organs, believed to have magical powers. British charity worker Marianne rescues him, eventually adopting him. Years later, in London, a reliable source tells him his brother is alive. He returns to Marley to find him, but how this can be when he saw him dead. Oh and um, there's a website there, there's Rob's website, um, so you can scan that on your lovely new iPhone or Android that you got on uh, Black Friday so and you can go to Rob's website. Meanwhile while you're doing that I'll tell you about Rob. Um, uh, by day Rob is a rock choir leader that's interesting. I think we've had one of those before. A rock choir leader and music teacher. But I love to write whenever I can. I now live in Bedfordshire, but spent nine years working in Africa as an ethnomusicologist. Wow. Living through Mali's 2012 coup d'etat uh, and contracting malaria seven times. Oof, that's rough. Seven times, blimey. So I write from the heart and with an authentic cultural and historical backdrop to my story. I have three published books, two travelogues and an educational book. Upon your own advice, it's <laughs> throwing my words back in my face. Oh, I came to realise that biographical accounts, however exciting, do not tend to sell like fiction does. Well, kind of broadly true, but not always true. Um, so I attended a plot structure course and I've spent two years planning and creating my debut novel, Black and White. I really hope you like it. And I think... <laughs> I don't think it's Jeff. All, all the credits are wrong, I'm so sorry. If that's the only cock-up on, on, on the show, then I think we've got to wait likely. So whoever's going to give the reading, I know it's going to be great.
6: Black and White by Rob, read by Alison. Chapter one, Mali, West Africa, 2011. A smell worse than camel breath wafted into Fidel's snoring nostrils, rousing him from a deep slumber. The sound of voices stirred him further. Before he could even open his eyes, flickers of orange light penetrated his pale eyelids, flashing menacingly across his inert pupils. He opened one eye, to see amber rays strobing frantically across the conical straw roof above, the same shape as his tiny square window. Through it, the the voices were getting louder. Angry voices. Fearful voices. That smell. Something is burning. Fidel turned to his brother, but Eli was gone. He rose from his moth-eaten mattress as panicked footsteps pounded the dirt outside. He dared not leave his hut alone, convinced it was him they had come for. Even if it was not, he knew they would kill him the moment they saw his face. Through the windows he could see billows of acrid, black smoke, as mountains of smoldering tires released noxious gases into the Saharan skies, cloaking the pale full moon in a menacing, macabre shroud. There was a loud bang, followed by screams of terror. Fidel froze, his heart booming in his head. A pickup of angry men in black turbans roared past, illuminated by oscillating flames. They were sat on two benches, half facing left, half right. With one hand, they hung on to the metal framework overhead as the vehicle bounced through the sandy street. With the other hand, their right, they raised defiant fists into the air, bellowing, Allahu Akbar, with every punch. Jihadists, they're not here for me. Not only me, at least. Two of the men grabbed their AK-47s and began firing into the air, their menacing rat-ta-ta-ta-ta echoing across the village. Another pulled a pin from a hand grenade and lobbed it into the air. A blinding flash illuminated terrified faces, followed instantly by loud bang. Eli was at the door. Fidel, come quickly! He grabbed his brother by the hand and dragged him to the doorway. What's happening? I don't know. Tuareg rebels or Al Qaeda. Maybe Libyans. I'm not sure. Where are we going? The villagers are fleeing. The river is our best chance. But what if they see my face? It's night time. They won't. And these guys will kill any face they see, not just yours. Where's father? He's hiding in the church. We need to get him en route. Before exiting the hut, Eli grabbed a four-stringed musical instrument from the shelf, his banjo-like ngoni. The scene outside was worse than Fidel had imagined. Across the village of Hondu Bongo, straw-roofed mud huts burned like giant candles, their tawny glow bouncing off the swirling clouds above. The crackles of burning were accompanied by terrified screams and further gunshots. Some isolated, others prolonged. Follow me, cried Eli, stepping forth. He had always been the more courageous twin. The uneven ground was littered with debris as they darted from hut to hut, eluding collapsed buildings, discarded bicycles, and more burning tyres. Fidel almost tripped as his foot hit a soft body, face down on the floor. Keep going, brother, keep going! Eli called. Fidel leapt over the body and followed. He could barely make out his brother's silhouette through the smoke and darkness, but recognized the torpedo shaped angoni in his hand. Bang! Bang! More gunfire closer this time. Through blurred eyes, Fidel could see Eli was gaining ground ahead. He increased his pace his gunshots continued to ricochet through the brittle streets. He could see the outline of the tin-roofed church ahead. They just needed to find Father, then they would be safe. The sandy bank of the serene Niger River dropped abruptly to his left, much too steep to descend here. Fidel could see Eli's silhouette in the doorway of the church beckoning him onwards, willing him to make those final steps. Come on, Fidel, you can do it! Boom! A grenade exploded close by, and Fidel lost balance. In an instant he was rolling down the steep river bank, sand invading his ears and nose, stray rocks bruising his head and knees as he fell. The slope evened out, and he slowed to a halt inches from the water. He could hear nothing.
0: And there you go, Black and White by Rob, who is with us live now. Let's just have a look at the Genius Room. I'll give you a quick update. I'm, I've been monitoring them as the uh, reading progressed by Ali. Heaven's sake, like, Peter, get it right. Gee, right, dear. Thank you very much, Ali. Um, great reading. And I think it's all very positive, actually. Um, let's take it from the top. Like the blurb. Um It was it was beautifully read, I thought Rob. Yeah, yeah good. Yeah, it's nice when people say thank you actually to our narrators. Doesn't often happen, but it, it counts for something, so you're a good guy. Um Blurb interests me, says Claire. Title suits the blurb. Blurb's interesting, says Vagabond. Um, title didn't grab me says LA but the blurb is intriguing love this idea says Jan Eva title's too obvious I think it's a bit obvious too needs a bit more perplexity um, so does the blurb I think says Eva James I pick this up even though I'm not at I don't know what that means uh, title reminds me of the song by MJ I don't know what that is either I'm obviously not culturally up to date uh Joe would, would, would like to have a little more stakes or attention in the blurb but it's serviceable Monsieur Dupré says decent blurb no need to tell us where Marley is and um, not crazy about the title says Monsieur Dupré as well maybe this is a good idea maybe use local language word for albino I think that's quite interesting worth exploring Um uh, Joe says agreed yeah the subject lends itself to a really mysterious intriguing title uh, good opening paragraph now. We're into the, the text itself. Hannah likes it. Nice opening, says Johnny. I like this, says Jeff. Very atmospheric. Good clean price, says Pamela I Love the leanness of it. Great opening, Monsieur Dupre. Lex, great world-building character in action. All at once in the start. Bravo. Glenn says, very descriptive. Works for me. L.A. Thomas says, this is well written. Screams of terror. Small point from Hannah. Screams of terror. Just say screams. We'll get that as terror. And Monsieur Dupre goes on to say, I'm so there. Writing's credible, says Eva. And oh, there's a lot of good stuff, actually. I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to let you, uh, Rob, just freeze frame it uh, later on and go through it. Always great advice, but I'd like to know what Roz thinks.
4: I think there's a lot um, that's going well for this. Um, the, the title, Black and White, is more of a thriller title, that. But- that's good but as everyone says it's a bit generic uh, but it'll probably do as a working title and then you'll trip over the right one and you'll think ah that's what it should be um i think the the blurb did a really good job it's a gripping idea it's also quite it's got some very modern themes refugees race trafficking there's there's a lot of there are a lot of interesting places that this could go um it also nicely ghoulish, um, and I mean, it's a very violent part of the world. There are absolutely horrific things that go on there, and, and you found something that is um, specifically um, and uniquely intriguing—the idea of the the albino—and that, that's almost like a Doctor Who story. That's, that's really got something going for it. Um, I was a bit puzzled by why you say it's a YA thriller because the characters seem like they must be adults because they're going back later, they're going back on their own steam. So I'm a bit puzzled by that. But if I were you, I would just write it the way it feels good from your gut and then decide later whether it's YA. Um, I thought the writing was very vivid, very real. Um, I, I thought the scenes were very well realized. Um, it felt like you'd really been there um those smells and sounds and feelings i do feel that the writing could be more vivid in style at the moment what it's doing is telling us quite a bit so um he might fall over or or, or something but what you could next do to make that really make us really live in the situation is have some questions like um what was that sound coming towards him was it footsteps um Mm. slow it down so we really feel every moment Mm. and then you can say oh no it's all right they weren't coming for him um and and though then we would feel like we really were there um most of the paragraphs would be made even more real if if you did that and would really keep us gripped
0: thank you rose what a concentrated dose of great advice there
3: (laughs) it's very fast too
4: yeah (laughs)
3: Well, I thought I thought it was really well written and the um, the the blurb I think it's got all of the right ideas I just think it needs a tiny bit more focus so I think that the the ideas are all there and it sounds quite good I don't have anything um to add based on the writing because I think rose has said and the genius room have said everything but I just saw the comment there from um I, I saw the comment there from Rob about yeah. how he is 13. And yeah, he didn't feel very to me. He felt like an adult. So I think mm. that's maybe something that you could think about. How would a 13-year-old feel in that situation? Because mm. if I hadn't known how old he was, I would have assumed he was an adult.
0: Me too. Yeah, yeah. And what what do we think about... Because um, Rob is quite sensibly going for a sort of crossover market here, but someone ultimately in a publishing company has to... Oh, uh, we've got a...
4: Th- oh, that's a nice horse. <laughs> 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 Keep your mind on the job,
0: for heaven's sake, Ross. Dear horses. <laughs> um,
4: so this, this this
0: thing that makes me just a little uneasy about um, having a 13-year-old protagonist who's 18 by the end of the story and then hoping it's going to go for the crossover market. I mean, there are not that many adult-type books that do have young protagonists. There are a few, actually. I mean, Kite Runner comes to mind. But I just wonder if that's going to be an issue, do you think, Ross?
4: Um, I think... what. Well- what rob should do is write it the way it feels right to him Mm. write about the things he is interested in it might Mm. turn out that it's it's just a novel for adults like the kite runner even though the protagonist is young at the start yeah just because you have a young protagonist doesn't mean that you necessarily have a ya novel
0: yeah yeah that's brilliant wow all all brilliant stuff actually so i think um i think we're expecting a reasonably good score aren't we let's see you've got a 65 you've got a 65 has everyone voted they have indeed yes the people have um, expressed the will of god as uh, somebody once said a few days ago and you got a 65 i hope you're pleased with that i hope you're very pleased with the the advice there rob and meanwhile we will go on to submission number three <laughs> Submission number three is Indefensible. Indefensible. Do you like that? One-word titles. I quite like one-word titles. The trouble is you do run out of single-word titles quite quickly. But it's strong. What do you think? It's a thriller. It's from Jube. And this is Jube's blog. It's 1993. And a head is found floating in the Thames. A 40-year-old QC. That's a uh, sort of Lawyer, basically, for people not
2: uh,
0: of uh, from these islands, um, is instructed to represent the defendant. Indefensible is an authentic legal thriller, following a barrister whose personal and professional lives become dangerously enmeshed when he plays fast and loose with the rules. Set at a time when our trust. In establishment figures was only just starting to come away at the seams. Oh, when would that be? The novel shows the devastating consequences of a lawyer getting too close to a murderous ex-client. Right. And about you, Jube, if that is your name, because I, there's another name on the manuscript. So i don't know one does wonder sometimes i feel particularly well qualified to have written this novel you say having worked in professional legal ethics for 20 years including five years running the ethical helpline for barristers at the bar council i didn't know they had one and that's interesting in itself actually i mean it's starts to create storylines and story suggestions and ethical helpline for barristers. As part of my writing process, I spoke with both QCs and clerks. The novel has two well-known figures from the legal world in its supporting cast. Both included, with their full permission and cooperation. All right. So... <laughs> So where where's the lawsuit going to come? That you need you need that signed. I think actually you actually do. In terms of my previous writing, over twenty of my short stories have been published in books and magazines. Around twelve plays I've written have been produced in London venues. Another literary agent represented me for my first novel, also a thriller. But we parted company in twenty twenty. That's quite interesting. The extent to which you should reveal um, whether you've had previous literary agents or not. It's something that we, could, we can talk about forever, actually, but more important than that now, I think we want to hear this reading.
1: Indefensible by Jube Jakanov, read by Beth. Chapter 1, Friday the 17th of December, 1993. The three girls were still lolling over the front desk at Toll Puddle Street would they ever leave? We don't do lifts home, Barbara said, for what must have been the fourth time. But the police are meant to help, the one with the top topknot complained. Yeah, it's rubbish, her friend with glasses agreed. Here, yeah, I expect you need this. The new officer reached from behind Barbara and placed a coffee cup next to the mug with the pens. Barbara turned round. Thanks, Barbara said, turning. They get plastered, then expect me to sort the taxi. There's a mini cab office down the road, girls, the man said. Honestly, it's been non-stop nonsense tonight, Barbara continued. A member of the London Philharmonic, he'd left his violin in a taxi. A woman complaining her son was missing, and then she remembered he'd emigrated last year. Oh, and a Hare Krishna guy who'd just been chased into an alley by a lady with a stick. It's laughable. He shook his head in sympathy and headed back to the other room. And now a dishevelled woman was making her way purposefully towards the desk. Perhaps in her early fifties, her straggly hair fell like a fox's tail alongside her neck on one side, but on the other it was scooped into a bunch, leaving her face and left ear exposed. The impression created was that she had not been looking after herself. "'Ooh, what's that stink?' The tallest teenager looked outraged. She had a point. Barbara had every sympathy for anyone living on the street. Of course she did. But there were showers in the homeless hostels, weren't there? "'What can I do for you?' Barbara said to the new arrival. "'She's not even finished with us,' the girl with the topknot said. "'Last Sunday. I think it was Sunday.' The woman's tongue pressed into the side of her cheek as she attempted to concentrate I was on the bridge. How are we going to get home? The girl with glasses called out to no one in particular. They'd left the desk and were in front of a missing person poster. Go on, Barbara said to the woman. It wasn't that she was likely to say anything significant. She'd probably got into an argument, been groped or kicked by a passerby. That's what she'd claim, but there would be no details. These cases were dead in the water before you so much as breathed on them. It don't matter what day it was, the woman continued, probably Sunday. But I saw something, and I've been meaning to tell, because it wasn't... She stopped when I squinted slightly. It wasn't right. And what did you see? Barbara had the book open, ready to make a note. I was on the bridge when I saw it. Which bridge would this have been, and what time of day? Tower Bridge. It was late, and I saw a man with a carrier bag. I was just kipping down. You know how it is but he looked suspicious. The way she said this last word, it would have rhymed with fishes, and her eyes briefly went from one side to the other, a recognition, perhaps, that she hadn't quite nailed the pronunciation. And what happened next? Well, he takes this head out of the bag and throws it off the bridge. What do you mean he takes this head out of the bag? I mean a head. He had long hair, this golden color, She said this wistfully, as if it would be nice to have golden hair. And he threw it. She mimed throwing the head with two hands, like a footballer taking a throw in. He threw a man's head off the bridge. Barbara couldn't wait to tell her new colleague about this one. It's not funny, young lady, the woman said. All right, shall we start from the beginning, with your name and date of birth? Jackie Levine. 24th November, 1948. They went through the whole story, with Barbara taking notes as best she could, pressing the woman for clarity. She didn't get a good look at the man, she said, but on the other hand, she would definitely recognise him again, without a shadow of doubt. She said this twice, sounding pleased with the phrase.
0: And... Um, let's catch, catch up with the Genius Room, actually. Um, I don't like Barbara, says Claire. I think that applies to a character in the reading rather than Barbara currently in the Genius Room.
2: I certainly hope so.
0: Um, slow out of the gate, says Mister Dupre. Um, not what I'd expect from the opening of the legal thriller, says Eva. Interesting comment. I'm afraid that's a bit too slow, for her. Um, too slow and open for that blurb, says Pamela. Uh, he's, he's getting a bit cozy, isn't it, in, in that front desk of the police station? Um, starting the wrong place, says Hannah. Nothing here to made me care. Uh, did they have top knots in 93, says LA? Good question. Um, Pamela Joe, just don't need to know this much detail at this stage. Just say she's unkempt and smells. Meandering a little needs to be tighter, says Jeff. Ponytails but not knots, says Johnny. He would know. Uh Mr. GPR says starts with there are showers in the hostel, aren't there? Uh, so you've got quite a lot of detailed uh, feedback here. Uh Vagabond says, reading this reading oh, reading this, on oh, reader have heaven's sake, reading this, I found it took too long to get to the kicker. Get there quicker, and I'd be happy. Pamela Joe, don't say pony in front of Roz. She'll go off track. Ah, Yes, she will. Uh, Glenn says, should have started with a head. A beheading on Tower Bridge. Now that would work. And Johnny says, dozen dishes rhyme, rhyme with fishes, yeah. Um, she sounds younger than her age, says Mr. Dupre. Jan says, don't mind the slower intro here. I would read on. All right, so I've got a difference of opinion there. And Claire says, yeah, the character Barbara. Okay, good, we clarified that, thank heavens. Felt a bit cosy, says uh, vague, Vagabond, and I, I think it did too and Pamela makes an interesting suggestion start me with some juicy QC gossip, not the girls and then Hannah's talking about top knots again, which is interesting, but not what we want to hear, but we do want to hear from Ross No! <gasps>
4: Yes, I felt the opening scene was a bit too cluttered and I was trying to figure out what to do about it. Um, mm. I think it's difficult that you start with the girls. It's all authentic. It, you know, it absolutely rings with authenticity. But we think that the, that the girls who want to lift are going to be the subject. So you look at them and then, no, it's not. Then someone yeah. mentions Barbara. I thought Barbara is one of the girls. It's not. Um, you could do some more precise stage managing. When Barbara's brought a cup of coffee, um, I was thinking, oh, this this sentence needs this paragraph needs reordering. So we know that Barbara is the viewpoint. Some coffee was put down beside her. She's the other side of the desk. I even, you know, I, I thought she was, uh, wasn't a policewoman. Um, and I was thinking, why are we starting here? Um, why are we starting with this? It didn't quite match the blurb. I yeah. thought it was in- more interesting when we got into the, the homeless woman's description of seeing a head in a bag. But again, I wonder if that's the best way of starting it off. Um, you, you could start this in all sorts of ways. Does it have to be a homeless woman who has seen someone throwing a head off the yeah. off the bridge? Um, I also thought the tone, yeah, quite right, Pete, it is a bit cosy. And also I found it started to come unstuck from reality there a bit because the Barbara seemed to be almost mocking her. Now, whatever she was thinking... And even if she was thinking, this is what I'm going to tell the lads as soon as these people have gone, she would be treating it with utmost seriousness. And I think that duality might be interesting to see, if there was room for it, but there might not be room for it. So there's there's a lot of good material here. Um, I don't think it's quite the place to start. There might be a more um, arresting and startling way to
0: begin. Yeah, It's really quite
4: a startling thing.
0: Well, yeah, and certainly our our author seems to have got enormous amounts of experience and quite an interesting oh area, yes actually, morally duty. he's got so
4: reams of novels there <laughs> yeah
0: yeah definitely what do you think Annie
3: well I think I'm going to disagree
0: <laughs> Good. with
3: um, the general consensus because I, I really enjoyed it I think it was very the writing was very charming and it was, it was mm. also quite funny like there was there were quite a few lines there that I thought that Really funny, so it was very unexpected because obviously with the blurb, it wasn't what I was expecting, and um, the characters all felt, at least to me, they felt quite real. So even though it was maybe a little bit slow at the beginning, it, it still it felt like a real, um like it felt like a real place. Like you could kind of imagine that that's something that's happening, and that list that Barbara went through of the. Um, everything that um, she dealt with so far that night of like someone yeah. leaving their violin in a taxi. I thought, I thought those were really nice details. Yeah. And um, I do agree that we could have gotten a little bit faster to the homeless women, but I like the, um, that kind of, you know, the, the way that she wasn't really taking her seriously, even though maybe it's not, <laughs> maybe it's not very realistic, but, um, there was, there was a lot of humour
0: in it, and I, that's, I think that's why I enjoyed it. But, yeah. Um, I mean, it's genre yeah. writing. It's, at the moment it's, it's genre writing, isn't it? It's, it's a very sort of set piece opening, and there's no bad thing for that. I mean, that's what people people yeah, like a lot and enjoy a lot. <clears throat> um, I guess, how did you feel? Actually, I'll ask you this, Annie. How did you feel about the blurb? Do you feel what was delivered in, in the, uh, the narration sort of was what you were expecting from the blurb or, or what?
3: Well, the blurb I wrote down was that it needs um, it needs more characters. So it needs to take us a little bit closer because um, it was mentioning this novel is about this and the book does this. Instead of telling us what the book is going to do, give us the character, like give us a name, especially so that we can like who can someone and like actually feel what it's going to be. Because obviously when this is starting, I'm not sure if this is a prologue and we're never going to meet um these people again yeah Um, which i know that in thrillers that's actually okay like i know that that's kind of you usually have prologues that are sort of just to introduce the crime but i would have um i think the blurb needs um a little bit more work but the concept itself i really like the like it sounds really interesting and obviously the, the author has um is able to write about something like this
0: yes yes and um you've i mean your enthusiasm is reflected in your numbers, which look pretty yeah. good. Pretty good to I me. Like, I
3: like the title. I like the title. I as like well that. It's very simple.
0: Yeah, yeah I like mm-hmm. Indefensible. Um, yeah, I mean. I
4: think Annie's raised a really good point. Um, take the blurb away, and it works as a completely different kind of book. And it's almost as if yeah. it's the wrong blurb. Yeah, yeah because as you said, right. it's, it's got this charm, which is, it's, it's not mm. right for a thriller, but it's right yeah. for another kind of book. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, interesting. Interesting. So, possibly redo the blurb tube. Um, or, I don't know whether I'm not going to divulge the name that you gave on, on the submission, but I know I'm going to call you tube because that's your public facing name. Uh, great. All right. So, uh, great scores from Annie. Some criticism from the genius room. General suggestion that maybe the, the blurb doesn't equate. Um, terribly well with uh, in terms of the expectations raised with the material delivered. Let's look at the numbers. You're 58. It's not bad. Not bad. I'm going to write that down. 58. Thing is, what we're looking for today, and we've got two more submissions, is we're looking for 71 or more actually, because 71 is the winning score this month so far from Steve with that That really interesting, jazzy submission we saw. Uh, None of us are wild about the title, uh, Dreaming of Tesla, because it's not about cars. But it was well done. So 71 is the the score to beat. Meanwhile, I'm going to have a little chat with Roz and ask you, Roz, a loaded question. Is there a book that you can suggest that's maybe a little bit like Bill Bryson that we could buy for our (laughs) loved ones this Christmas,
4: possibly? I have, I do have some. Oh, thank heavens, you've got one there. I've got it. Yes, it's called "Not Quite Lost: Travels Without a Sense of Direction." Oh, excellent! Um, And tell us about it. It's my. It started off as a travel diary. I keep notebooks for all the different kinds of things. And there's one notebook that always stays in the suitcase. And when we go somewhere on holiday, I take out the notebook and put it on the desk and um, write in our adventures, what we've been doing. And... Often we're sitting there with a glass of wine, and I'll look through it and say, Oh, there's the time that we got lost in such and such a place, and the car window got stuck down. We had a row about it because, you know, we thought, what are we going to do with a car that we can't close? And um, my husband Dave, who is also a writer, said, oh, You should put those in a book. And I said, Yeah, they'll all go in novels eventually, all these stories. And he said, No, write a book of those. And I said, Don't be silly. Nobody would want a book of those from someone like me but I started to really like the idea and um by the end of the holiday um I I was thinking oh, maybe I could and then I mentioned it to a few friends who, who would tell me if it's a rubbish idea so one one is a bookseller and he said oh yeah I'd love that I think you really should write that and one was um a magazine editor I work for and he said yeah I would definitely read that you should do it and so I did and um and that's it it's a that's travel it. diary of not very exotic adventures but they are more kind of little adventures they're often okay. travels to out of the way places getting lost getting stuck not being able to escape from a village a bit like the prisoner um oh. there's also a thing that i did which was a an experiment in esp uh, where I, I broke the experiment. Um, I'm good <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to stop you for a moment because we've made it very easy for you gentle, because I know you're desperately dashing around wondering what the hell can I buy books are a great thing to give at Christmas because they're not too expensive, even the Harry book is slashed to half price um, so we've made it really easy for you to, to find Rosa's book all you need to type that in book.lutopia.com if i can say it properly there you go not quite lost i want to ask you one thing though things about about dear old bill bryson He's that he's a very charming writer actually. You could just yeah, you know, just read oh, exactly. and he writes really. Mm. But the thing the thing about Bryson, especially his early stuff, was he brought this rather he, he did something I like a lot actually, which is um a stranger's eyes view to something that is is very normal to you. And often this this isn't American because, you know, two nations divided by a common language. Um and he brought that sort of classic American approach to British eccentricities and place names and our strange habits and of course the weather and all that. Well, that's really interesting because it's, it's, it is seeing things that we're very familiar with but in a new way from fresh eyes. So what, was, what did you do in, in, in this book that kind of gives us that slightly off-centre viewpoint?
4: Well I was writing about places that weren't familiar, they weren't home Wow. And um, so they they were the same sort of thing sort of trying to find your feet in a place trying to do a simple thing like like getting a taxi when actually all the taxis are, are picking up kids from school and taking them to the local farms and you're sitting yeah. there in a f- freezing cold with um, we had we'd just been walking through a cow field that was full of slurry and everything so our boots were like they were like golems and all these yeah. locals were trying not to take any notice of the dreadful smell of these these townies who had just pitched up and so little things like that can create yeah. big awkward yeah. situations yeah. Nice. um and um the car window getting stuck down that was just a you know what on earth are we going to do we are, we are stuck with this thing we're gonna to have to live in the car or yeah. someone steal it um and any little thing like that can can ruin a holiday um it and sounds like, also yeah go on yeah, there's just little little things that can become just big adventures. Um, yeah. And there's another time when I think the one chapter that goes abroad was um, when we're trying to speak French and we can't speak French at all. We just get mocked all the time oh, by Jeff can. the French people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeff, Jeff. You did very well, I
6: thought.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to say things and, and the, these French people were just falling about laughing. <laughs> it <Yeah>. was... <laughs>
0: they can be very cruel <laughs> the French very cruel yes but, um, uh, uh, fantastic Rise. it sounds like a perfect uh, Christmas gift um, escapist reading uh, here you go this is this is what you type into your browser book.letopia.com I'll take you straight through to the purchase page meanwhile while you're doing that we're going to look at submission number four this is an interesting title too it's another one word title kneecapper kneecapper. One word, one title. Crime fiction. It's from Jack. This is Jack's blurb. Young crime reporter Rowan Yo is assigned by her editor to look into a spate of kneecappings across England. The police suspect a rogue IRA faction, but a fact-finding trip to Dublin with their blessing puts Rowan in danger and she barely escapes alive. Pressing on, she makes a discovery that could lead to the kneecapper's lair. I don't often say that. I can say it again, I enjoyed it so much. The kneecappers lair. The kneecappers have observed her progress with growing disquiet. To sabotage her investigation, they decide to make her their next victim. Wow. Uh, about Jack. Jack Henley, the man who never was. <laughs> who never wasn't. Sorry, the man who never wasn't. Okay. I'm not a professional writer, says Jack, but I've had several books published over the years, all fiction, mostly crime thrillers. I live by the sea in South Wales, travel a lot, especially within Europe. I've tried writing sitcoms, but so far without success. Too funny for prevailing BBC tastes, probably. (laughs) Dig, dig yeah very probably actually jack hey that's meant to be a joke not a boast all right fine understood aside from writing i run a small business which takes up a lot of my time maybe one day i'll write a memoir about it meanwhile novel writing is my forte though when they've listened to the readings of this my latest offering peter and today's other critics may take a different view (laughs) here listen and be enthralled he says and you certainly will because this reading comes from martin
7: kneecapper by jack read by martin the room was dark as best he could judge through the blindfold it was also silent if you excluded the remote yapping of a dog and the wind buffeting the wall by his head No hum of traffic penetrated. In the country, then? Not that his whereabouts was of any consequence. Be it country or town, he was handcuffed and ankle cuffed, both restraints attached to the floor. Trussed, gagged, blindfolded, naked, and the door was locked. He distinctly heard his jailer turn the key. The chill air added to his discomfort. He was lying in a draught on bare wooden floorboards. November was not the best month to be without clothing or covering in an unheated room that reeked of damp mould and fear. His fear. It wasn't the kind of fear that made you sweat. Rather, it made you shiver and lose control of your bladder. He'd already pissed himself twice. The saving grace being that at least he didn't wet anything except his skin and the floor. A police siren, or was it an ambulance? He never could tell their allulations apart, drowned the barking and momentarily raised his hopes that a rescue had been mounted, that he had been seen or missed, that his abduction had reported. His hopes dwindled with the dwindling of the siren. A floorboard creaked faintly outside the room. Someone was coming. He stiffened, his breathing quickening to the point of hyperventilation. His head cocked towards the source of the sound. It wasn't repeated and the door didn't open why for god's sake was he here who brought him his mind ventured back to his last lucid memory of propping up a bar in the iron horse pub sidcup's finest of sharing drinks and catch up with his younger brother tony over from dublin with his colleen their wives had preferred to stay in with doc martin on tv the cold and wet outdoors holding little appeal He remembered glancing at the digital clock over the bar, 11.17. The figures were branded on his memory. They had promised to be home by midnight, time enough for a last pint. Tony had taken a trip to the toilet, temporarily alone. He was just putting a match to his second cigarette of the evening when a woman pitched up at his elbow and asked to share the flame. Be my guest, he said, holding the match under her king-sized cigarette. Her fingernails were painted silver. Funny how he'd noticed them before he'd noticed the face. He wouldn't see 30 again, maybe not even 40, but was loaded with character, enhanced by a tumbling cape of auburn hair with a kink in it, plump, sexy lips. He felt a stirring in a place where the action nowadays was mostly confined to relieving himself. Thanks, she said, and smiled at him, a full display of well-kept teeth. You sound as if you're from the old country. So do you, Bagara. They both laughed, the atmosphere instantly companionable. Can you get rid of your friend? She asked. The question was so unexpected, he assumed he'd misheard. Get rid, he said, buying a few seconds to ingest the implications and frame an answer. He hadn't been entirely faithful to his wife over 16 years of marital togetherness, but since passing his half century, the impulse to stray had atrophied. An attractive woman volunteering herself without so much as a nod and a wink, for the fur was the first in a decade or more. Meet me in the car park in 10 minutes. I'll be in my car. I'll flash my lights. She leaned towards him, her mouth almost touching his ear. My name's Moria. Good to see you if, later if you're a good boy. I'll flash more than my lights. Was that when she had spiked his drink then she was gone, and his brother was back at the bar. Friend of yours? He asked, all nonchalant, but probably gagging to know. Nah, no, just begging a light. Not that I'd kick her out of bed, given a chance. They laughed companionably, as guys do. It wasn't that funny or original, but they were in a mellow mood, and the laughter came easy.
0: There we go. We've got a comment straight away from the genius room about Roz. Uh, uh, Pamela Jess says, Roz's book is very two for the road. Audrey Hepburn and Albert Finney. Oh, nice. (laughs) Um, Vagabond says, oh, no, that's another comment as well. Uh, Roz, try explaining your tooth filling has fallen out in a Hungarian true story. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right, he puts it in the scene, says Katie Allen, uh, and then pulls it out again. All this backstory and fingernails painted silver, etc. this needs to wait. Always a perceptive comment from uh, Katie Allen, always. Um, So, kneecapper. That screams thriller, says Monsieur Dupre. Johnny kneecapper? Wasn't that that a piece by the shadows? I don't think it was. I don't think it was. (laughs) I don't don't really think it was. Um, I like the blurb, says uh, L.A. Thomas. Kneecappers? It's a caper! says James. Uh, Nice title, nice blurb, says Vagabond. No, hang on, says Johnny. That was toe-tapper. All right, fine. When was the set, says Hannah. We didn't have much in the way of kneecappers in Dublin. That opens a whole line of discussion, really, about Hannah's past, I think, but we'll leave that for a moment. Uh, Kneecaps sounds mafia, says Barbara. James, i picked this up to have a look. Uh, Jeff says, Johnny, I think it was knee-tappers, perhaps. Um, And Pamela Jo says, how many times can you say... Kneecapped in 30 seconds. <laughs> I do feel I said that quite a lot. Um blurb has me intrigued, says Mr. Mr. Let's hope the story follows. Double spacing, please, says LA. Um, are we starting the victim? Yes, we are, Mr. Dupree pamela Joe. Blurb, blurb is too much and too little information in my view. No tension, no strong hook. Johnny, I like the slightly black comic undertone. I like that too. I don't know if it's intentional, but I do like it. Um, dwindling and dwindling repetitive alay thomas says nice attention to detail says monsieur dupre couldn't fully wet himself because he's naked deft exposition palmer good start for a thriller like it better than the blurb not enough panic says barbara colleen i was wondering about colleen what what what, did, what was there's a small hill no this is why they're called the genius room uh, colleen uh says johnny tells us is irish an irish girl there you go i didn't know that they know that, and that's why they're the Genius Room. I like how this started, says Vagabond, and someone was coming, increase in tension, then... Suddenly, backstory, all tension gone. Losing me now, kind of the same reaction there from Barbara. Actually, I like the slow build, says Monsieur Dupre and Eva. Writing's got tension. Vagabond says, I, I think choose the cell or the pub to start in, but mixing the two doesn't quite uh, work for me quite like says johnny i enjoyed that says la thomas glenn says i'm in two minds whether i would read on probably and dialogue clunky says pamela may be trying too hard for realism first reactions please annie
3: Well, I think it was quite good. I do agree with what um, mostly with what's been said in the genius room like it's um, started out quite strong and then it just started to deflate. I think that the bar scene could have probably just been condensed into one paragraph so that if, if you really want to give us that information you can probably just give us like a couple of lines about that because there wasn't really anything there that was something that we've not seen before, like two people meeting at a bar and making Mm. an arrangement. I think you can just give us, like that detail actually um, about the silver nail polish, I thought that was actually quite interesting. So you can Mm. keep something like that in, like a couple of details, but you don't have to give us all of this backstory, especially because I'm assuming that we're probably not going to meet this character again if he's one of the victims.
6: Yeah, so does sound I like
3: think that. the tension, the tension at the beginning was great. I thought that was very. I found it quite scary, so I was, I was really enjoying it. So it was a bit of a, a bit of a letdown when it started to lose that, um, that tension. The the blurb, I thought it, the first half of the blurb was good, and um, I think a reporter is always a good, um, a good like main character because they've always got a. It's a little bit different to having a, a cop. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think overall it sounds quite interesting.
0: Okay. How do you feel about this, that title?
3: Well, at first I liked it, but then when I realised that you're the main sort of villain is the kneecappers, and we're going to be hearing that a lot during the book, I think, yeah. it might, I think it might get a little bit tiring. So maybe reconsider. I don't know. Other people yeah. might like it, though.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's distinctive, isn't it? And then I, I, I did get a bit tired of saying it because I said it a lot of times, actually. Yeah. knee kneecapper, knee knee Oh, no, you mustn't say it three times. Something awful is going to happen to me. What did you think, <laughs> Roz?
4: Yes, I'm, Annie said most of the things that, that I was going to say. Um, knee-capper, I think the title has got an exclamation mark on it, hasn't it? And that's a bit unfortunate. Um, exclamation marks always scream far louder than they you think scream. they're going to. yeah. And the blurb, I felt the first half of it was good. And then it ends with, oh, they're going to to want her next. And I thought, yeah, it's obvious that's going to have to happen. We know that's going to have to happen. So I think you need to end with a bigger question, a bigger dilemma in the blurb. I felt the tone was a bit uneven. I felt it was sometimes veering into comedy when you've got a line like, if you excluded the remote yapping of a dog, um, the way he said that was finding it funny. And yeah. that actually diffused the situation because it's it's very scary, um, and I think he should have stuck with the just the the real rigid terror of it, because yeah. it's an awful situation. Um, I mean, it's a funny thing. The-
0: I, I don't know if you maybe it's just my weirdness, uh, Roz. But I, the word I mean, knees are kind of funny in any case. Knee capping is kind of funny, kind and of, especially yeah. if you say it a hundred and one times. But actually. It's probably a horrible thing. I don't I don't know the details at all of kneecapping, but I, I think if they were sort of described to us in clinical detail on page one, it kind of probably turn our stomach over.
4: Also, it sounds strangely trivial. That's why it's funny. Mm. Um, yeah. it, it's yeah. almost like toe stubbing. It's somehow not serious enough for what is obviously going to be a seriously horrible thing. So I wonder yeah. if it just needs a bit of reimagining. Um, I was enjoying the bit where it went to the pub, actually. Um, and yeah. it's because the dialogue was quite, uh, quite authentic and, I, yeah. and you know, it had a bit of wiliness to it. Yeah. Um, it. It maybe was going on a bit too long because possibly the author was enjoying himself because he was doing it well. Yeah. But maybe not so much of it is needed.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Perspicacious is her middle name. Um, so Pamela Jo says agree Annie maybe stay with the victim have him just remembering the silver nail polish that's actually when he was taken don't take us out of the scene and Johnny says say kneecapper three times in a row and a guy wearing a balaclava and carrying a lump hammer appears so watching feverishly over my shoulder there's a better transition to the back story says Mr Dupre but I appreciate it where it is let's just make sure Annie has actually given some numbers yes you have so we've all voted. Let's see how your numbers are looking, Jack. You got a 62. That's not bad. I hope you're pleased with that. Um, yes, and I think this is classic genre writing. Actually, um, I think you could easily get a series going here if you wanted to. Maybe um, focusing on the young crime reporter Rowan, possibly. Uh, I think it's genre writing. I think people would actually really get into your writing style. I don't know whether a traditional publisher will pick it up, but I think you certainly could could do very effectively with the genre self-publishing on this. That's my considered opinion. Now, let's before we look at the last submission of the day, let's look at the scorecard. And it's kind of fairly tight, actually, but um, you'd be pleased to know, actually, Jack, that you are leading at the moment. No, you're not. Sorry, I'm <laughs> just, just completely looking at the wrong calm. <gasps> You're not, it's Rob. Rob who is with, no, it's not, it's not. Come on, Peter, it's actually Jude with Indefensible. There we go. <sighs> no, it's not. Oh God. All right, well, i tell you what, while I try and uh, learn some basic maths, I think possibly we should look at the final submission of the day, which is this. It's from Michael, it's an archeological thriller. You don't come across too many of those. I'm already interested. Archaeological thriller. Orders of Ash is the title. Orders of Ash. And this is Michael's blurb. An ancient injustice from the dawn of history. A cursed seraph imprisoned in stone. A dying archaeologist and his last wish to solve a centuries-old puzzle all converge in this gripping tale that weaves mythology, theology and archaeology together in a fast-paced adventure that pits the forces of heaven and hell against each other and places the fate of humanity squarely in the crosshairs. And I will, while I'm still trying to work out my basic maths, I'll tell you about Michael, a graduate of Missouri State University with degrees in English, literature and journalism. I spent the first years of my career in the newsroom where I wrote and published hundreds of articles and opinion pieces. Today, I work as a senior IT leader for a Fortune 24 healthcare company. But I've never given up my passion for writing or telling stories and have remained engaged in the St. Louis writing community, serving as a developmental editor and copy editor of a title such as Urban Gothic, the I-55 series, Cubs versus Cardinals, and from Brick and Darkness. I also volunteer as a writing coach for two silver award-winning middle school authors in this year's Scholastic Writing Awards contest. Wow, that's impressive. But what's even more impressive, I think, will be this reading from Emily.
5: Orders of Ash by Michael. Read by Emily. The small two-truck caravan thundered along the dusty remains of a fossilised riverbed, charging headlong through the dark of a moonless Iraqi night, the dull glow of a handheld GPS guiding them under the cover of darkness. How much further? a voice asked from the back of the Land Rover, leading the caravan as it bounced and lurched over the rough terrain. The bespectacled round face of James Wallace leaned forward from the back seat, captured in the glow of the GPS. In his late sixties with soft, doughy features, James thumbed anxiously at the stainless steel crucifix dangling from his neck. Small beads of nervous sweat formed on his bald, round head while his brown eyes, set behind round, wire-rimmed glasses, followed his partner in the front passenger seat. Dr. Reginald Kemp studied the GPS for confirmation despite knowing the answer instinctively. Just a few more minutes, he said, looking back over his shoulder with an excited smile like a child in Christmas morning. They travelled the ancient dried remains of the Wadi al-Batan every night for almost three weeks. The whole crew knew every divot, ditch and gully, every stone and shrub for the length of the dried riverbed. We're almost there, Reggie added. From their base in the village of Takahid, the crew set out every evening, along the same path through the no-man's land of the Arabian desert of southwestern Iraq. Reggie settled back into his seat, staring ahead into the night. His sixty-year-old face weathered and blotchy from years under the hot sun, travelling from one archaeological dig to another across the Middle East, chasing a riddle through history that started with a five-thousand-year-old clay tablet his own father found decades earlier while excavating the ancient Sumerian city of Kish. Once, Reggie was robust and strong with powerful hands and thick, broad shoulders, but the weight had been slowing off quickly now, and every day his grey eyes sank deeper into the gaunt features of his face, framed by a mass of thick, wavy grey hair. All his life he had looked back into history, searching for the connective tissue binding time across the generations, joining the modern world to the ancient. Time was his passion, and tracing mankind's arc through it was more than just a profession. It was a calling, a secular faith, etched into his very soul. But time can be a bitter mistress. When the doctors found the tumour, time turned on Reggie, from lover to enemy, as the precious months he had left ticked away feverishly. He and James had been trying to get permission to search along the wadi for this site for over a decade, but the dynamics of global politics refused to cooperate. Posturing between states of delayed applications, budget cuts slashed to grant funding, sectarian violence scared off insurers. For a time, it all felt hopeless until an old friend from Iraq called offering his prayers. That's when the idea sparked. Fuck it, Reggie said to his friend, Yusuf Shalabi. Who needs permission? They can lock me up until the cancer takes me for all I care, so long as I find it. And with that statement of defiance, the machine was set in motion. Reggie cashed out his retirement, and he and James packed up for Iraq, while Yusuf set about recruiting a small crew of discreet men who knew how to work hard and keep their mouths shut. Reggie rolled the circumstances, bringing him to this moment over in his mind. He never wanted a secret dig, hiding in the night like a grave robber. He wanted it to be official, sanctioned, with all the appropriate governance of a legitimate archaeological expedition. But you play the cards you're dealt, as his father was fond of saying, and Reggie was looking at his last hand. Staring out the passenger window, Reggie's eyes focused upon the innumerable array of stars hanging over the clear desert night the full glory of the Milky Way unfettered by cloud or city lights, just as it had been for the men and women who first carved civilization out of the banks of this long dead river thousands of years ago.
0: And there we go, orders of ash by Michael. Let's go straight to the genius room and get their immaculate reaction. Um Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. No, Glenn. Oh, look what you made me do now. Um folk lives through the troubles and all the land, all of our guts turned with the word kneecap, says Hannah. Yeah. So. and vagabond says tells me to get a grip. I'm trying. I don't think I'm not. Um the Title Intrigue, says Eva. Intriguing title, says Hannah. Blurb too generic, also says Hannah. Jan, like the high stakes here. Not quite a blurb, says Alia Thompson. Know what do you mean by that um like the title says james tighten the blurb vagabond on the surface i like the blurb but then i realize it doesn't actually tell me much as it's too broad lex says angels demons archaeology let's flipping go <coughs> i'm a bit like that too because it does push a lot of buttons for me actually it does uh like the blurb could have been done before plenty of this around there is gland but there's plenty of it around for a reason because people like it uh, Pamela Jones, this more fantasy than the thrill. Of the blurb sounds more fantasy. It does a bit. It's, yeah, it's covering all the places, actually. Um, but bit of sink. Boilerplate blurb merely ticks off boxes, says Monsieur Dupree. So I can see that's true, too, actually. Like, so after days, I was half expecting Emily to sound like James Earl Jones. Carol says, interesting concept in blurb. No story details to intrigue me. Vagabond says, the voice led, led the caravan. Pamela, can two, tr- two trucks be a caravan? Aren't they just. Two trucks. I had a good writing. Draws me in. I'm really digging this, says Jan. I do get the, uh, the pun there. It's mm-hmm. archaeology. Oh, Jan. Lex, you're losing me. Oh, that's not good. Came for spiritual warfare uncovered, getting they know they wa- their way around a dry riverbed. Um, Glenn says, I hope this guy likes snakes. Bit Indiana Jones. I'd like more action, says Claire. Johnny, good rhythm to it. It's a slow burner. Uh, writing's good, said Eva Don't ask me how credible a blurb like that can be. Well, we don't want credibility. We want escapism, don't we? Too much backstory, says LA. Like, I don't know which line that was, actually. Uh, Pounder says, needs a bit of an edit. More honed. It would be easier for the reader to see characters and setting. And Vagabond said, so we are driving down a road. (laughs) And this is promising, says James. Needs a little editing, tightening. I would read on, says Jan Glenn. Too late, Pete. You said it. I did. Dang. Hannah, tighten it. It's got lots of promise. Joe. Time is a bitch. Never mind, mistress. Not sure what that means. It sounds ominous. Roz.
4: Well, the Genius Room have, as ever, earned their title. Um, they, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to add to the things they, they said, really, because I was writing down the same things. Um, the blurb. Um, it should tell us who the people are. Who are we going to be following? And it doesn't, um, yeah. even though it's it's important to establish, you know, the kind of world it is and all that. You've also got to say, so and so is a, uh, he's got the last chance to find the whatnot of the whatnot, and and we need to know who they are. But um, something that I think he's tried to do instead is to show us that we're going to have huge stakes, the end of the world, and everything, and that it's going to be gripping because of that. That's not very gripping. What is gripping? It's people having dilemmas and personal stuff and really difficult choices that is always gripping and then you sort of shift you that you expect you're going to get the end of the world in a in a story like this anyway so you, do. you almost don't need to say yes it. um yes. so i i would rework the blurb um i've i found the sort of scene setting in this um rather in the chapter rather than action but once we got to reggie who you know, had nothing to lose and was trying something, I thought, ah, now we're seeing someone who is going to do interesting things. Mm. And and so it's it's worth following him. Up until then, I felt we were marking time. We were trying to sort of get all the things in, like, oh, the setting, where are we? It's night. Um, mm. And uh, y- you it'd be better i think starting with the people i don't think you'll ever make a mistake in any kind of book if you start with the people yeah. <laughs> and and wow. then just you know get all the other stuff in to let us know where they are what they're doing um i think this writer has got um a, a sense of and i think he loves big ideas because i i mm. liked lines like time was his passion that's great i love that um so keep all that in uh but show us it through reggie first who's you know time's running out he's he's really got um a yeah. lot to get done before he is no longer capable of it yeah and he might be put in prison which will stop him doing it um so, well, he, so he, I, I would he didn't care worth-
0: about it though whether whether he gets in prison which kind of lowers the stakes for me
4: well, presumably he would care because he then wouldn't mm. be able to complete the wants yeah. to complete, and that's got yeah. the letter to him.
0: Yeah. Emily says, uh, our narrator, of course, I did like this. I like the subject matter and the writing. The only issue was that perhaps it's a bit too slow for a start and too much exposition early on. Would have been better starting with a bang, a little more mm, thrill. What do you think, Annie?
3: Well, I, I agree with um, what people... Oh. Sorry, can you hear me?
0: Yep, absolutely.
3: Yes. Yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> so I, I do agree with um, what everyone's said so far. Um, it kind of felt a little bit as if it was more of a character study at the start because we were getting a lot of information on um, who they were and I think all of this are things that we could find out in a, in a more exciting scene um, because actually the scene itself could potentially be very exciting. But it was yeah. just slowed down yeah. by the amount yeah. of backstory that we were getting. And um, I found it quite um, funny that um, it happened twice that there was like describing um, faces and mentioning that they're in their 60s. I just thought that was um, yeah. not, not necessarily a bad thing, but I just thought it was a bit funny. Um, what else?
0: Yeah. So, Oh, well, let me just ask you about that, about mm-hmm. about our character, because I, I, to be honest, I didn't feel I invested in him. I didn't feel I really cared very mm-hmm. much about whether he does his archaeological stuff, you know, before the big sea gets him. And I think that I probably ought to have cared more. Did you care?
3: I think that's the main issue is that we're being told about them. So we're, mm-hmm. we're finding out all of this information mm-hmm. before we're able to actually feel the way that he feels about the um, subject matter. So, like, if instead of having him... Thinking about how much he likes this enigma and all of this, we actually saw him, um, you know, starting this dig that's illegal, that's in the middle of the night that he's not allowed to do, and then sort of feeling that passion that he has for it, instead of being told all of this, and then yeah. on top of that finding out that he has cancer and that there's this, there's this um, ticking clock. Yeah. I think it'd be more powerful in that that way. Yeah. And I also want to add on to the blurb because. Um, there's a lot that's been said already but i think it's more of a pattern and i think this has been in a couple of blurbs that we've seen today i think where they'll mention like this um they'll say like this is a gripping tail mm. instead of just like uh. talking directly like don't don't yeah. um, bring us out of the blog don't mention yeah. that it's a tail or a book or anything just like tell us directly.
0: We'll take our own view on that, won't we, if it's a gripping tale and we'll, we'll decide that, what mm-hmm. we want to know yeah, we want to be exactly. seduced into opening it to picking it up, yeah. Dan mm-hmm. Brown meets Indiana Jones, says Claire, yeah that's right, and actually, you know, I mean the blurb, frankly, is pressing a lot of buttons commercially for me, dying archaeologist, last wish, centuries of old puzzle, forces of heaven and hell, yeah, we've kind of been there before, but we enjoyed it last time probably going to enjoy it next time, so, you know you don't necessarily need to reinvent the wheel that much um let's look at the numbers you got a 64 michael you've got a 64. uh for what it's worth i think it's a very commercial idea and i think you've had enormous amounts of help today um from the junior stream of course both are wonderful guests so now lies the huge challenge for me and i may need some help um, Annie, and and, and Ross. <laughs> Let's look at the numbers.
4: No, I can't give you any help. Oh,
0: dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Right. So I think oh, I've already got one of them. My heart, my heart, but still my heart, says says Steve. Yes, it's Guinness time. I'm beyond excited, thrilled and honoured. You're pre-empting this, Steve. Uh, you, you haven't yet. I haven't pressed the button yet. Good heavens, take, take that man away. So here we go, Um, we need a show winner, and by my reckoning, it's a bit tight at the top, Michael has got a 64, but Rob has got a 65. So if I'm correct, that means that Rob is actually our show. Yes, you did. Well done, Rob. Fantastic. Congratulations, Rob. like that a lot hopefully you found the comments uh, helpful and useful just just a few tweaks and you'll be there you'll definitely be there but he also means we do have a monthly winner he knows who he is he knows he's won here he is shall i press the button no yes Steve we will be communicating with head of Zeus about you imminently I'm going to keep our fingers crossed meanwhile I'm going to say oh here we go yes oh that's nice got lots of good reactions from YouTube that's fantastic that's very nice um thank you very much Ross thank you very much Annie it's been wonderful having you on I look forward to to both of you with particular um, Oh look, oh look, oh, it's going crazy on YouTube. It's going it's going absolutely insane. It's nice it's nice to bring a little happiness into people's lives, isn't it? Thank you. How was it for you today?
4: Great. Great, Was pal, it all right. Yes. Was it
0: fantastic? Mm. That's brilliant. Thank you. Who's that? That's Steve. Yes, well Steve is having a party all of his own. Um, I think we will um, have exactly the same sort of confluence. Same time, and we've done all right with it, apart from my cock-ups this week minor mathematical ones and a few others like that we've actually got through it I think we've beaten the curse of warminster I think so tune in same time next week to find out hit it
4: I hope
3: you're ready coming now the go bring down